Oh, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. That means it's officially going to get cooler now. I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's, we're just hoping, right? Uh, but we are excited about what God is doing. We are moving forward. We got uh, life group starting up next week. And that's going to be awesome. If you haven't already, you need to join with, with a friend or three and uh, make sure that you are in a, in a life group. We like to do life together. And as a matter of fact, um, it's really very early church of us to do life together. Uh, it's really, it would be weird if the early church didn't do life together, right? They would have thought it strange if they weren't doing life together. And so it's uh, very important that uh, we continue on that apostolic tradition, that we do life together, that we move forward together, and uh, we will grow together. Amen? Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, or if you are looking at the handout tonight, we're at Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. Proverbs 18:24 says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I've heard people say I don't I wonder why I don't have any friends but they're the biggest grump that I know. If you're going to be having friends you have to show yourself friendly but it says then there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Uh, there was a sign seen at the front desk of an English country inn, and it said, Please introduce yourself to your fellow guests since we are one big happy family. The management is not responsible for valuables left in your room. <laughs> we're all one big happy family, but we're not responsible for any valuables that you leave there. Uh, so what is a friend? Because tonight we're going to talk about the lesson that we learned from the king, and the lesson is, show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And I'm going to, uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about this tonight. I have some personal reference I want to throw in here, uh, but I believe that uh, if you haven't thought about friends and friendship and spiritual friends in a while, uh, now is going to be a great time for you. What is a friend? Well, the first thing that comes to, to your mind when you think of the word Friend, what is it? What, what, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? See, there's no wrong answer. There, there, was, there was just a broad question there. What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, maybe it's somebody that you can trust. Maybe it's safety. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe your friend's on your nerves right now. You're like, aggravation. I don't know. Um, but whatever that word is, think about that for just a moment. It has often been said that a person um, has... Five real friends, if they have five real friends in their lifetime, that they are blessed. If you have five real friends. Webster defines a friend as one attached to another by affection or esteem. Those are your fill-in-the-blanks, affection or esteem. And the word attached here in the definition is probably the most distinguishing word. We all have acquaintances, but we only have a few friends that we are truly attached to. I've got several people, you know, I look on my Facebook friends list, hundreds of people, right? But how many of them would actually show up if something was majorly wrong? Not, not a whole lot, you know? 
How many of them would, would, if I, you know, some people, they post stuff just to get a response. Don't do that. Please don't do that. But some people, you know, if, if like my Facebook status said, I'm dying, please call me. I wonder how many of those, you know, 2,000-something would actually call me. I don't know. Social experiment. Don't do it. Don't do it. But <laughs> it's when, you know, we look at friendship and somebody uh, has suggested that, you know, if we have been successful in life, if we have enough close friends to act as pallbearers at our funeral. How many people does it take to carry you? Now, you know, somebody like Jessica, like, no big deal. She can have three friends, you know. <laughs> Me, I probably better get seven or eight, <laughs> at least. <laughs> I, heard, I heard somebody snort. That's, <laughs> man. But I think the thing is for us to truly become attached to people, that's how we know we have true friendship, if you're truly attached. Um, those attachments are what unites us in each other's joys and sorrows, tragedies, triumphs, and it makes us feel as if we belong. Recent studies have shown that people visit, uh, that visit the church are not necessarily looking for spirituality, they're looking for friendship. Let's fill in the blanks. They're not necessarily looking for spirituality. They're looking for friendship. I don't know about you, uh, but I really, I really like the people here, not because they make me more spiritual, per se, but because they're friends. And, you know, the, the whole point of being friends, and the scripture says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Uh, a church should be the friendliest place in town. You know, uh, Chick-fil-A ought to have nothing on us, and I love Chick-fil-A. You know, and they, every time I go in there, it's their pleasure, you know. Like, I'm, I'm paying, yeah, our pleasure, you know, we don't mind. Uh, but I would say that friendship is a unique uh, situation. It's a unique relationship and if, you can, if we can provide people with friendship that they are seeking, then they will experience the spirituality that they really need. If we can provide them with friendship that they're seeking, they'll experience the spirituality that they really need. Sometimes people don't even know what they need when they come to this church. They walk in the doors and they're thinking, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> they're, they're nervous. They're like, what are they going to try to make me do, you know? Uh, are they going to try to get money out of me? A lot of them think that. Some of them think, uh, are they going to, you know, shake my head or, you know, are they going to make me go down to the altar? Are they going to, you know, make me meet in a dark room with the priest or with pastors? I mean, literally, that's some of the comments that I've heard. They were very nervous the first time that they came to this church. Thankfully, for most people, they find this to be a friendly church, but, you know, it's only as friendly as the next guest that comes in. Because we could say, oh, we're a friendly church, but then if we have guests that walk in and they don't feel welcome, then we're not very friendly. But we have to provide friendship. And so Jesus understood the principle of this as evidenced by his approach to people. Jesus understood that there had to be an element or a principle of friendship. 
and the way he treated people. He always communicated with them on their level, and then he would draw them into his circle of influence. You may wonder, how can I tell the difference between my acquaintances and my friends? Well, that's easy. Just get in trouble. (laughs) Just get in trouble, and, you know, what's going to happen next is the people that are still around, those are your real friends. And there may not be as many as you thought. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I had somebody tell me one time, they said, they said, the friends are the ones who are walking in the door when everybody else is walking out. A friend is the kind of person that you can call at 2 a.m. and say, hey, I need you. And they don't ask, "Um, what's the problem? They're deciding whether to come or not. No, a friend is the person you call and they say, where are you? <laughs> and as they're throwing their clothes on and headed out the door, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of friendship. That's the kind of real friendship that we need. Uh, how many friends do you have like that? Right? It's, it's pretty um, startling when we think about that. What is a friend? Uh, I, I read something from Raymond... Uh, Baran in bits and pieces, and uh, this is what he says. He says, what is a friend? Friends are people with whom you dare to be yourself. He says, your soul can be naked with them. They ask you to put on nothing only to be what you are. They do not want you to be better or worse. When you are with them, you feel as a prisoner feels who has been declared innocent. You do not have to be on your guard. You can say what you think as long as it is genuinely you. Friends understand those contradictions in your nature that lead others to misjudge you. With them, you breathe freely. You can avow your little vanities and envies and hates and vicious sparks, your meanness and absurdities, and in opening them up to friends, they are lost, dissolved on the white ocean of their loyalty. They understand you do not have to be... uh, to. You do not have to be careful. You can abuse them, neglect them, tolerate them. Best of all, you can keep still with them. It makes no matter. They like you. They are like fire that purges uh, to the bone. They understand. You can weep with them, sing with them, laugh with them, pray with them. Through it all and underneath, they see, know, and love you. A friend, what is a friend? Just one, I repeat, with whom you dare to be yourself. Well, that's pretty deep. What does Proverbs say about friendship? Because that's what we really need to know. Proverbs 17, 17. says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, my sister, she really believed all her life growing up. I was born just to antagonize her. I was born just to mess with her. She used to, they used to quote that scripture to me, and, and they would say, yes, and a brother is born forever. It was like, it was like, I mean, what a reputation, right? It was horrible, but it wasn't until later in life that she discovered the true meaning for that is whenever times get tough, your brother's there for you. The scripture says, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So, uh, even when you go through stuff and you're, you're acting like a big jerk, your friends still love you. 
Even when you try to push them away, your friends still love you. Proverbs 27 and verse 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Proverbs 18, 24, it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Most of us, we are thankful that we have a friend in Jesus. Amen. Proverbs 27 and verse 9, just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. That's from the message. Just as lotions and fragrance give sensual delight, a sweet friendship refreshes the soul. Proverbs 27, 10, don't leave your friends or your parents. Friends and run, uh, don't, leave your, don't leave your friends or your parents' friends and run home to your family when things get rough. Better a nearby friend than a distant family. Proverbs 27.10, Proverbs 27.17, iron sharpens, or iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I have, I have a few friends in my life that every time we get together, we are better when we leave each other. It's, it's good to be around those kind of people. It's good to be around people that sharpen you. It's good to be around people who make you better. What are some of the marks of a false friend? Everybody has, at one time or another, been betrayed by a supposed friend. Oftentimes, it's by somebody we consider to be a true friend, Someone we would never have thought that they would do what they had done, and we are deeply hurt by their betrayal. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? It's then we begin to analyze our friendship, and many times we can see in retrospect uh, the signs that were there all the time that attested to their, their lack of true friendship. But we didn't see it at the time because we were excuse me, we were loving them unconditionally and we were uh, trying to maintain that friendship and a lot of times we overlook stuff until we are deeply betrayed and then we, we examine, <coughs> excuse me, and see what, uh, what is causing the, this, this lack of friendship. So what are the marks of a false friend? Proverbs 19 and verse 6 is where we're going to go. <coughs> False friends are only there for what you can provide for them. Proverbs 19.6 Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. That's why people with money, they have entourages. Because they're always giving gifts. They're always, they, got, they always got friends around. Why? Because those friends like to get whatever's being handed out. You know, some people, they're always having parties at their house, and they're always, you know, having these big cookouts, and they're having uh, special things going on, and, and, you know, people like to hang out with people where there's going to be free food, and there's going to be, you know, free entertainment, and you're going to get to do things that you normally wouldn't do, so yeah, it makes sense. Some, sometimes you'll have false friends for only what you can provide for them. A false friend pretends to be supportive but is actually working against you. 
We read it, faithful, Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So you may have somebody in your life and they pretend to be supporting you. Well, I'm only doing this for your good, but it seems like every time you turn around, they're stabbing you in the back. Anybody, anybody know who I'm talking about? You got somebody in your life that came right to your mind when I said that. You're like, seriously? Well, let's get a little deeper. False friends are only friends to, a, to certain kinds of people. False friends are only friends to certain kinds of people. Proverbs 14, 20. In the message, it reads like this. I'm gonna, I'll read it in the message, then I'll read it in the King James. <clears throat> in the message, it reads, An unlucky loser is shunned by all, but everyone loves a winner. This is what it says in the King James. The poor is hated even of his own neighbor, but a rich but the rich hath many friends. You ever, you ever notice that some people, they're your friend whenever it's just you and them, but whenever there's more people in the room, they can't even focus talking to you. I mean, they can't even keep looking at you. They just keep looking around like, who can I talk to next? Who can I? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, don't, don't be thinking this of your pastor because when I'm looking around in the room at church, it's because there are some things that I have to take care of. But I'm talking about, you know, you go somewhere and you're one-on-one with somebody and it's fine, but then there's other people around and, you know, they're, they're looking for ways to go talk to somebody else or they're, they're uh, moving away from you quickly. And I found sometimes, you know, I've, got, I've gotten certain friends, I, I go to conferences sometimes and you know, I know where I'm at on the totem pole with most people. I'm not the highest man on the totem pole. So I'll be, I'll be standing there talking to someone. And I've literally, my wife can tell you this is true. I've literally, we've been middle of a conversation. No goodbye, no, it was good to see you, no nothing. And they'll just walk over to somebody else. Right? And you're like, what? We have, my wife and I, we have a few false friends in our life that they, we're, we're not high enough on the social standing totem pole for them. So uh, they find, whenever there's other people, they find those people. This is what I'm talking about. False friends are only friends to certain kinds of people. A false friend will talk about you behind your back. Proverbs 17, 9, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You know, if you really, if you truly have a friend and somebody that's in your corner, they will not be talking about you behind your back. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 16, 28. A gossip stirs up close friends. You ever notice that some relationships go really good until somebody else gets in the mix? And then it seems like, why don't we get along anymore? And Sometimes there's an instigator in there somewhere. 
False friends will betray you even uh, if they are given the chance. False friends will betray you if they are given the chance. Proverbs 16, 29, a violent man enticeth his neighbor and leadeth him into the way that is not good. Same scripture reads like this in the message. It says, callous climbers betray their very own friends. They'd stab their own grandmothers in the back. Yikes. There's two men, they were hunting in uh, northern U.S., and one yelled and looked up, and they saw a grizzly chasing them, and the first started to frantically put on tennis shoes, and his, his friend was anxiously, you know, screaming at him. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, don't you know you can't outrun a grizzly bear? And, and the guy said, I don't have to outrun a grizzly, I just have to outrun you. <laughs> what a friend. In all of Scripture, you will find no greater example of a false friend than the type of friend that Judas was to Jesus. He became a follower for the loaves and the fishes and for the things that could be done for him. He followed closely to Jesus, but he also wanted to be a friend the Pharisees. He was angered by the woman with the alabaster box, and he viewed her as beneath him. He eventually approached the Pharisees about the possibility of betraying Jesus. And in the garden when Jesus greeted him with a salutation of friend, Judas gave him a betrayal kiss. We need to be true friends. The marks of true friends, somebody once said, you can tell a real friend when you've made a fool of yourself and he doesn't feel you've done a permanent job. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's, that's what I like about good friends, that you can, you can, you can just completely, and I, this is probably not good terminology, but you can act a fool, and they'll be okay with it. They won't treat you weird the next day. A real friend helps you when you're down. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall... The one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Got to have somebody. It's important. We need friends. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And we covered that. You need somebody in your corner. You don't have somebody in your corner. I, I guarantee you can find somebody here. And that's what this church is about. We're, we're, we're supposed to be establishing closer relationships and friendships. And you know, sometimes we get busy in life and we don't realize that's really the goal. A real friend provides emotional or physical warmth in a cold, cruel world. Ecclesiastes 4.11 goes into this. It says, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And sometimes we have a tendency to, to take a passage so literally that we miss the point, that this is more than just about keeping each other physically warm. Life can deal some cruel blows. You can go through some stuff that, you know, really uh, will mess with you, and you need somebody that can warm your soul, that can emotionally help you, that they can be a strength to you. We need those friends. We need people who will, 
make us feel a sense of warmth and security because of their friendship and because we're able to gain emotional strength even though we don't have any of our own at the time. There's sometimes, and, and I've, I've lived long enough to realize, there's sometimes that I have, to, I have to be sustained by not just the strength of God, but some, the strength of other people in my life. And if it wasn't for those people in my life, I wouldn't be here today. So everyone, everybody in this room, look at your neighbor. They are either an encourager or a discourager. Everybody. They're either an encourager or a discourager. We all know that there are some people that totally drain us of energy. They drain us of our passion we all know some people that fill us with energy, and they fill us with passion. They get us excited about living. Let me ask you, what type of friend are you? What type of friend are you? Do you add value to other people, or do you drain value from other people? I'm just going to let that hang out there for a minute. We need to be encouragers. We need to be uplifters. We need to be strengtheners. Man, if I need to be discouraged, I, I know where to go. <laughs> I, I know where to go. It doesn't take me long to figure out. There's some people, man, I can be on top of the world. Five minutes with them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, I was so excited. It was going to be a great day. And <laughs> That's what caller ID is for. <laughs> yes, sir. Only problem is when you can't avoid them and you're face-to-face. Then it's, you're going to have to pray extra that day. A real friend is someone who will fight to protect you and your reputation. A real friend is someone who will fight to protect you and your reputation. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This was originally based on, uh, these, these words were on the military strategy of the, the ancient world. Whenever they would go into combat, they would go uh, with a partner. They would go with somebody that they could count on implicitly. They, they trusted with their life because what would happen is when they would go into combat, they would fight back to back. And they wouldn't, wouldn't let anybody get to the back of the other person. They were fighting literally for that person that was behind them. They had to keep whatever was coming at them. They had to keep them away. And the other person was doing the same for them. You need somebody that has your back. You don't need, you don't need somebody in your life that you're worried, are you about to stab me in the back? You keep looking over your shoulder. You got somebody in your life that you're worried they're going to stab me in the back anytime now. That's not the kind of person that you want to be in battle with. And so, uh, real friends will not only, they, they will not only never stab you in the back, they will guard your back. They will not only never stab you in the back, they will guard your back. A real friend will not allow other people to talk negatively about you. You ever had somebody that said, 
oh, you know, somebody, so-and-so, you know what they told me, and then they go into this big, long tirade, what they said about you. And uh, you're thinking, this is, this is what I was thinking, why did you let them say that? And I said, oh, so you think that's true? Oh, no, 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 I don't think that's true. I said, so why did you let them say that? Why didn't you say something? And guess what? We're not real close friends anymore. Why? Because I can't trust anybody that doesn't have my back. All right, I'm going to keep moving. A real friend is committed to helping you grow spiritually. You know, you get some people that they don't want you to grow spiritually. They, they really, they try to pull you back to where, whatever level they're at. That's not a true friend. They don't really want what's best for you. They just want to keep you on their level. I, I know this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A true friend will encourage you to become a mature Christian and not criticize you for your weaknesses. You know, you say, well, that's my friend. They're trying to help me. Well, if they're, if they're picking on you every time you turn around because you're not perfect yet, they're not your true friend. I hate to, I hate to let you down like that. But you got to have people that will encourage you. They'll say, come on, I know, I know you messed up, but don't worry about it. You're going you're gonna to get this. You're going to figure this out. God's going to help you. You got his spirit. You got his word. You, you can keep moving forward. True friend will encourage you to become a mature Christian, not criticize you for your weaknesses. Indeed, the basis of Jesus' friendship with his disciples was to add value to their spiritual life. To add value to their spiritual life. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's just as true in a spiritual sense as it is, as it is in the natural sense. There were people in my life that um, my parents, they didn't want me to be around. And, uh, you know, they took some criticism for it at the time because, you know, when you're the pastor's kid, you should be friends with everybody. That's what they thought. Well, here's the danger in that. Not everybody's good for the pastor's kids to be around. Just because they attend church doesn't mean they're good to be around all the time. And some of the people that I grew up with, some of the friends that I grew up with, the parents wouldn't discipline them. They were uh, not only not disciplined, but they, they always took the side of their kid. I didn't understand that because growing up, my parents never took my side. It was always whatever adult. I mean, y'all have heard my story. You've heard my story. I, this, this man one time lied on me, said I kicked his shins in the church parking lot. I wasn't even out in the church parking lot. But because my parents didn't know where I was exactly at the time, I got in trouble, man. I, I, I got busted for that. That was bad. I'll never forget that guy, man. He's lying. Just lied right through his teeth. To, I mean, just crazy. But my parents didn't take my side. They didn't say, well, you know, uh, my son would never do that. He, he's, he's not like that. And, um, well, at least that time I was right. But if it was, 
between me and an adult, then, you know, um, it was, it was going to be the adult. And I was going to get spanked or I was going to get grounded or something was going to happen. That's just how I was. But this, uh, this family that I'm thinking of at the time was, uh, they were coming to our church and, you know, not only would they not take the side of the adult or the authority figure, but they would take the kid's side and basically it, it, it was even physical sometimes. And, uh. So I remember the conversation. My dad said, you know, we'd, me and this friend, we'd gotten in some trouble. And uh, he said, you know, your son's not, my son's not going to be hanging out with your son anymore. And he said, you think your, your son's too good for my son? He said, no, not that. Just, they're just not good together. Some people, you just don't want to have them together. they just bad news. And so um, long story short, um, that young man is not a young man anymore. He's uh, a little over 40 now, and he's spending life in prison. And had I stayed friends with him, I probably wouldn't be here today. It's okay to parents to say, you know, there's some people that my kids just, they're just not going to hang out with. They're not good for my kids. And if your kids are the bad ones, whoop them. Stand their nose in the corner. Ground them and take their stuff from them. Whatever you got to do to get their attention. Man, my mom used to quote it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far away. <laughs> but you have to be careful because whoever their friends are, that's who they're going to become. And I'm thankful, I, you know, I tease my parents about it a lot, but I'm thankful that they cared who my friends were. I care who my, my kids are friends with, you know. It's, you know, it's just important. And not only that, but it's important who your friends are. It's important who your friends are. If you don't have friends that are encouraging you spiritually, you need to make some new friends. If you don't have some friends that are urging you on, helping you become the best you can be in Jesus, make some new friends. There's a, there's a lot of people right here that you can make friends with. You know, I'm not saying they have to be in this church, but they ought to share some of the same values that you do. You know, it, just because they go to a church doesn't mean that they're in church. There's a lot of people that go to church. Wolves in sheep clothing sometimes go to church. <laughs> I'm going to keep, I'm going to just go ahead and close out because if I don't, I'll probably say some things that you'll be like, ooh. Oh, it's not the word. I just had some <laughs> personal experiences. Some people go to church and they aren't saved at all, and they have no intention of being saved. You got to realize this. You know, sometimes people are like, "Oh, you need to, you need to be with them." They go to church. You just you got to, you got to know their life. You got to know who they are. Got to know a little bit more about them than, than just they go to church. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say. 
Back in the 15th century, a tiny village near Nuremberg, uh, there lived a family with 18 children. I know. I know. Like, whew, <laughs> that, that hurts my head just thinking about it. Man, Brother Clark, they was in Louisville a few, a few weeks back, and they have 11 children. I thought that was bad. 18 but to keep food on their table, this, this father, who was a goldsmith by profession, he worked almost 18 hours a day at his trade, and he would do any other paying chore that he could find to do in his neighborhood. And despite their seemingly hopeless condition, two of the children had a dream. They both wanted to pursue the talent that they had for art, but they knew full well that their father would never be financially able to send either one of them to Nuremberg to study at the academy. And so after many discussions, the two boys, they finally worked out this agreement, this pact. And they said, we're going to toss a coin, and the loser is going to go down to the nearby mines with his earnings. He'll support the other brother who will attend academy in Nuremberg. So with that, the brother who won the toss completed his studies, and then he would support the other brother while he attended school. So they tossed a coin, and Albright won the toss and went off to Nuremberg. Albert went down to the mines and for the next four years financed his brother, whose work at the academy was almost an immediate sensation. By the time he graduated, he was beginning to earn considerable fees for his commission works. When he came uh, home to his village, the family held a festive dinner to celebrate his triumphant homecoming. After the meal, Albright rose to drink a toast to his beloved brother for the years of sacrifice that had enabled Albright to fulfill his ambition. His closing words were, And now, Albert, blessed brother of mine, it's your turn. Now you can go to Nuremberg and pursue your dream, and I will take care of you. Albert rose and said softly, No, brother, I cannot go to Nuremberg. It's too late for me. Look at what four years in the mines have done to my hands. The bones and every finger have been smashed at least once. And lately I've been suffering from arthritis so badly in my right hand that I cannot even hold a glass to return your toast, much less make delicate lines with a pen or a brush. No, brother, for me it is too late. More than 450 years have passed. By now, Albright Drewers Hundreds of masterful portraits hang in every great museum in the world, but the odds are great that you, like most people, are unfamiliar with most of them and familiar only with one of them. You may very well have a reproduction of it hanging in your home or have seen it in somebody else's home or office. To pay homage to Albert for all that he had sacrificed, Albright, Drewer drew his brother's hands with palms together and fingers stretched skyward. He called his powerful drawing simply hands. But the world renamed his tribute of love the praying hands. It is a tribute to true friendship, a love that is willing to do whatever is required to see another succeed. I ask you today, before we close, do you have friends like that in your life? Are you a friend like that in somebody's life?
Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We all need good friends. We all need godly friends. We all need friends, and we need to be friends. That's what the Scripture says. We need to be the friends that we want friends in like in our lives. Would you stand with me?